Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the show. Very glad that you're here. Thankful for this opportunity to share the gospel with others through the medium of a Bible study conversation. So whether you are a Christian who is wanting to be engaged and to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, whether you are not a Christian, a Bible seeker who is interested in what the gospel is, and maybe you found this podcast, I'm hoping there are things in here for everyone. Shahe Jurgen is joining me over the next few weeks to discuss the final week of Jesus' life. And it's an amazing ride. I, I wish I could present it to you in one sitting. The way that I have decided to break my podcast episodes down is to present things in usually a 20 to 30 minute format. I like to keep them short. That way people can listen to them in a variety of ways, whether you're driving in the car or doing the dishes, or uh, maybe you are carving out some time to sit and study with your Bible in a notebook. I, that would be wonderful. I would love it. But I'm trying to make it available for people uh, in a variety of ways. And so this one is a, when, I sat down to edit it. It was an hour and 15 minutes long, an hour and 10 minutes long. I can't remember exactly. But the three episodes are very full that we're going to use. And so I hope that you will stay with us across these weeks because the final week of Jesus' life is a, a fantastic study through the Gospels. And Shahe does an incredible job of helping to paint this narrative in such a way where you walk away from it in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done. I hope you're ready. Let's jump into it, shall we? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you're here. I am thankful that once again you're with us, thankful to study the Bible with you. Let's have a great conversation together, shall we? This week, I've got Brother Shahe Jurgen with me, and Shahe just returned back from an extended trip in Malaysia. I might ask him a question or two about that whenever he gets in the studio, but he's also brought a Bible study on the final week of Jesus' life. This is a fascinating look. It's a, a great opportunity for you to consider really several chapters of the Gospels at one sitting. And have you ever done that before? Have you ever read through maybe the whole book of Matthew or, or the whole book of Romans or you know whatever book it might be in the New Testament? Have you ever done it in one sitting? And doesn't it feel differently than whenever you have you know taken it kind of chunk by chunk over several days or several weeks? It's really interesting to look at this big picture study. So I invite you to join us and consider us as we have this Bible study conversation together. Let's jump in, shall we? Brother Shahe, thank you for coming on the show today. Very grateful for your presence and for your work. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're in town for a gospel meeting at Grapevine. Unfortunately, you know, I take advantage of when people come in town, but uh, by the time I get these posted, the meeting's kind of long gone. Um, maybe give us a... a overview real quick of what you're planning on doing this weekend, and is it going to be available anywhere for people who wanted to maybe listen to those uh, sermons later on? Sure. Uh, actually, the, my gospel meetings this year, I'm mostly preaching through the Old Testament, focusing on the historical books. Okay. And uh, the effort is to give people sort of a big picture of the flow of the Old Testament, the right. history of Israel primarily, and uh, help to enable us to see how the Old Testament is put together, and how the history of Israel flows into a purposeful story that points to something. Right. 
and so that's what I'm preaching at my meeting at Grapevine this week. I believe the Brethren at Grapevine record all their sermons mm-hmm. and post them on their website, so I'm sure these will be available for people who'd like to give a listen. Great. Well, I also uh, mentioned in the introduction that you've recently returned from Malaysia, yeah. correct? Tell yeah. me about that. Let's let, talk about that trip for a couple minutes. Well, the congregation in Kuala Lumpur has existed since the mid-1980s. Brother mm-hmm. Bill Page, who worked for oil company, had moved his family over there for a job and helped to establish a congregation. And uh, the church has been there for a long time. Uh, but it struggled to do a lot of evangelistic work in right. that community. And so we had this idea of going to KL and staying there for an extended period of time to help the brethren uh, focus on some evangelistic efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trip was so successful, we ended up extending our stay. So we spent about three and a half months out of the country. And, uh, and you're talking about you and your family, yeah, right? That's you didn't right. go. You didn't go solo. Yeah, no. My <laughs> thankfully, my family was able to go with me, which I think is very meaningful and impactful to those brethren. Oh yes. And so uh, we we had some great efforts, uh, some successes, and some prospects for the future. So the Lord willing, I plan to return to Malaysia in April and May, and see some of those leads through. And we'll just keep praying and working and see how the work is able to continue. It's very exciting. Yeah. And so I want maybe to, to plug it one more time that for those who are listening, add it to your prayer list. Please do. For the work in Kuala, I can't pronounce it. Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia for the church there, the Christians there, the for your future trips there as well. If somebody wanted to contact you, maybe they wanted to uh, know specifically what to pray for, just to interact with you about this, how could they contact you about uh, maybe through email. Or... Yeah, email is probably the best. Uh, Shahejurgen at yahoo.com. If you can spell my name, you can spell my email address. And uh, otherwise, you can message me on Facebook, of course, would okay. be fine. Uh, in fact, I just finished my trip report for oh, this, this last trip. Happy to share that with anyone who's interested in learning more about that work. Okay. And uh, yes, if you if your congregation would like to help support efforts in that part of the world, uh, I can certainly help to focus you on that as well. Good. Is it okay if I put your work report on my website Absolutely. with this podcast? Yes. If those of you subscribe to the podcast and you listen to it on an app like SoundCloud or uh, Apple Podcasts, you may not see that, so you need to go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, the podcast page, and I'll try to have that work report uh, for you to look at. And for also Jurgen at yahoo.com. Now, we're going to talk about the final week of Christ. I, I mentioned that earlier, and I'm excited about this. You know, just reading through the notes that you sent me ahead of time, it really is enjoyable to see that full week together instead of, you know, kind of looking at just a, a minuscule part of it. So thank you for bringing this study to us today. Now, you claim that the greatest academic pursuit that anyone could do would be a thorough study in the life of Jesus. Why is that? Well, the whole message of the Bible points to the life of Christ. In the book of Genesis, when we learn about the creation of the universe, uh, we see God working in the world, a God who is full of wisdom and power, Mm -hmm. a God who creates humanity in his own image, and his desire is to have a relationship with them, to have communion with them. Mm Mm-hmm. That relationship, of course, is broken by sin. And from that point onward, uh, everything in the Old Testament, uh, 
Everything in God's work in the world is pointing in a direction. It's pointing to the time when God would resolve all of the lingering effects that sin have brought into the world. And so when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at its history and the books of prophecy and all of their messages and allusions to God's final work in redemption, uh, we see it pointing to the life of Christ. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if we look at the New Testament and we look at the book of Acts and the preaching that we find in that book or any of the epistles, they all look back. They look back to this time when God finally revealed how he would accomplish uh, this great redemption. And so the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the climax, the apex right. of all of God's work in the world. So when I'm doing my Bible reading, you know, sometimes maybe I'm in um, some poetry books in the Old Testament or maybe some prophecy books or, you know, even in those those really dark days of history, you're saying that all of that is pointing towards Jesus. And then after Jesus has died and resurrected, you know, the, these New Testament books, they're not just teaching us how to live or... Uh, you know, being a good person, but it's really everything's almost drawn to those four books of the gospel. Absolutely. I'll, let me give you a few examples. Maybe the darkest time in Israel's history is the era of the judges, mm -hmm. a right. time when God's people were stuck in cyclical rebellion, the cycle of sin, where idolatry and uh, all manner of heathenism was uh, constantly overtaking the people and drawing them away from God and the covenant. Well, in the midst of all of that chaos and rebellion, there's a little story that's affixed to the end of the book of Judges about a woman named Ruth. Right. And the whole book of Ruth is all about how God redeems, mm -hmm. how God works to redeem people from their circumstances. She was a Moabitess, and according to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, pe people of Moab were outside of the covenant. They were barred from the temple, from the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. But yet even Ruth could find God's redemption. Right. And uh, you look at other dark times in Israel's history, like when Isaiah uh, prophesied against all of the corruption of northern Israel and all of the idolatry that had consumed the kings of northern Israel. In the midst of Isaiah's work as a prophet, he pens the 53rd chapter of his book, right. which is all about this servant who comes not to, not to reign and to rule, but to mm -hmm. suffer and die. Mm -hmm. So everything in the Old Testament, in one way or another, is moving God's story of redemption forward to right. this climactic moment. And then when we get beyond the Gospels to the epistles of the New Testament, yes, of course, the epistles are filled with uh, methods of Christian living, of uh, how to worship God and how to serve God. But l let me take a few books of the New Testament as an example, like the book of Colossians and okay. Ephesians as a parallel. Okay. Before Paul ever gets to talking about Christian living, he spends the first half of both of those books talking about why you should live as a Christian. <laughs> and, right. uh, and so the first few chapters of Ephesians and Colossians are all about magnifying Jesus mm -hmm and showing how Christ is the center right. of the Christian life and indeed the, the center of everything that God has ever done. Uh -huh. So uh, what motivation does a person have to live a holy life? Well, Paul gives us the answer. 
because Christ has done everything for us. He has right. secured our redemption. And so we ought to give our life to him in service and worship in everything that we do. I love what you just said. Maybe a bit off topic, but so often I think it's unjustly put upon Christians from the Lord's church when we're advocating for righteous living or you know denying sin. Uh, many accuse us of trying to work out our salvation mm. you know, by our own personal works of merit. That couldn't be farther from the truth based on the context of what these epistles are saying. You know, they begin with the preeminence of Christ and how he's the reason that we even have the opportunity to live this way. Yeah. So that that's that's another study. Yes, but, it is. Um, but a good one. It is. It's, you know, you look at Ephesians, Colossians, he, the book of Hebrews starts with magnifying who Jesus is. Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. which is all about the work of Christ in acquiescing and condescending himself down right. to the earth to die on the cross. So uh, Paul certainly has the mindset that before you can live as a Christian, yeah. you have to know who Christ is. Well, this episode is not all 66 books of the Bible <laughs> with Shahe. <laughs> it's about the, the week in Jesus' life. And so uh, hopefully we've we've been able to discuss how valuable those four books of the Gospels are and how everything's kind of drawing either forward to them or backwards to them. But you state in this study that within those four week or those four books rather, that final week is kind of the focal point of what those books are about. Yeah, and this is easily demonstrated just in how much time the gospel writers spend on the final week. And many of us fail, I think, to look at the Gospels chronologically, and so maybe we miss this. We we take individual bits here and there, and we sort of sermonize them, but when we look at the Gospels as a whole, so let's take Matthew, for example. Okay. Matthew has 28 chapters in our English Bibles, divided right. in 28 chapters. Right. Well, the final week, the last eight days of Christ's life and ministry starts in Matthew 21. Okay. So that's about 25%, give or take, of Matthew's entire gospel is dedicated to one week mm. in a man, in, in the life of a man who lived about 33 years. Right. John, it's even more exaggerated. John's gospel is divided into 21 chapters, and the final week in John's gospel starts in chapter 12. So nearly half mm. of John's entire gospel <laughs> is focused on this one week. If if Christ is the centerpiece of the message of the Bible, the final week is the centerpiece of the life of Christ. It's seen by the gospel writers as the climax of right. the entire story of the life of Christ. That's right. You know, the world celebrates his birth with such gusto. Yeah. And then they give, you know, obviously they give a weekend in Easter to his death. Right. But... You know, New Testament Christianity, as you're discussing here, the, the obvious emphasis is leading up this final week is so powerful. Yeah. it's uh, I think it's just misguided the way that people celebrate yeah. him. You know, even in the midst of the gospel writer's message about Jesus, even as they're narrating all of this incredible history, it, it, nearly the center of uh, at least the synoptic gospels is the story of the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. And when after Jesus transfigures on the mountain and uh, he and the uh, three disciples who are with him descend off of the mountain, you have a refrain in, in the Gospels where it says, Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. Uh-huh. 
And so even after the middle point of most of the gospel records, everything is focusing on that time when Jesus will return to Jerusalem for the culmination of his life. I can relate to that in in a minuscule way. Um, We lived in Cambodia for three years, and I remember there was a halfway point when we made a trip back to the States and then we went back to Cambodia that suddenly there was an urgency to the to my work there ending, and I had to kind of lay aside a lot of the other works that I had been doing. Mm-hmm. I had to focus on getting Wani Chan prepared to be ordained as an evangelist and prepare the church there for our departure. So I can relate to that setting eyes on Jesus because I, I felt like I had to set my eyes on Phnom Penh. Yeah. That, that's just a personal anecdote. Um, let's look at an overview of the final week. That's what this main study is about. So we've hopefully done a... a, a a uh, good job of, of helping people out there value this week. So what I want you to do is maybe take us through day by day, looking at the highlights, considering the scriptures, what points we can learn. Uh, it starts on a Sunday, right? right? What happens there? So before this, uh, a few months before the final week, Jesus had uh, been avoiding the area of Judea, but he made a trip into the uh, little town of Bethany, because he had learned that his friend Lazarus had died. And so Jesus went to Bethany, and uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and then he sort of left the area of Judea on his final preaching circuit. Okay. Well, the news of the resurrection of Lazarus had been shared throughout Jerusalem. Right. By the time Jesus returns a few months later for the Passover season, Mm -hmm. everybody had heard about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And when they learned that Jesus was returning to the area, this massive crowd had gathered around Jerusalem to see not only Jesus, but to see Lazarus, who was with him. Mm -hmm. So Jesus had gone to Bethany. He stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus for a couple of days. And then he and the disciples returned to Jerusalem. We sometimes call this the triumphal entry. Right. Jesus had been out of the city for a long time. Now he's come back. And the way he comes back is highly significant. It fulfills messianic prophecy when he rides in on a donkey. Okay. And so there's lots of symbolism there. Jesus is not riding on a war horse. He's riding on a donkey. But also some of the Old Testament kings did a similar uh, ride into Jerusalem on Mm -hmm. donkeys. So there's lots of symbolism, lots of prophetic fulfillment there. Uh, But the crowd is shouting accolades. Uh, to to this miracle worker who's mm-hmm. performed this incredible feat. And so they say, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna uh, to the king of Israel. And, and all of this is drawing lots of attention, of course, not just from the masses, but from the leadership. And the leadership of the Jews, obviously, they're very, uh, you know, scrutinizing all of this mm-hmm. and they're very critical. At the end of that day, Jesus leaves Jerusalem again, and he goes back to Bethany and he stays the night. And then we have the next day which is Monday. Before you get to Monday, I just want to share that when the Pharisees say, do you not hear the things (laughs) that these people are saying about you? Jesus' answer is so powerful. Uh, You know, if these people were silent, the rocks would cry out. That tells me that the jubilation that's going on during that entry must have been incredible. Yeah. And I can't help but feel this pain in my heart. Obviously, we know where we're going to end up a week from now that this leadership is able to stir up a mob to do the exact opposite of what this crowd is doing one week prior. And so I can't imagine what it must be like for him. He's 
no doubt wanting to enjoy the moment of, of people who are praising him, but at the same time knowing that there are those among that crowd even maybe who are going to be stirred up against him. Yeah, that's right. Well, Monday comes. Yeah. Right? So tell me what happens then. So uh, Monday morning, Jesus and the Twelve wake up in Bethany, and they decide to return to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are two important events that happen on Monday. The first is that as Jesus and the Twelve are making their way to the city, they get hungry. Right. And Jesus spots a fig tree uh, over yonder, and so he approaches it to find some nourishment, to find a couple of figs, right. to satisfy his hunger, and discovers upon inspecting this tree that uh, it's got leaves, there's foliage, but no fruit. Mm. And he curses the fig tree and, and uses this as an opportunity to teach his lesson, uh, a lesson to the disciples about hypocrisy. So he's not just hangry. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, listen, I have a toddler. I, I have experienced <laughs> hangry. No, no, certainly not. Uh, in fact, when you when you study a little bit about the climate and uh, and what, you know, what happens in this part of the world, fig right. trees generally produce fruit before they produce leaves. Hmm. So the fact that this tree had leaves but no fruit is the significant point. The tree was vaunting itself or flaunting to be something that it wasn't. Uh-huh. It had all of the trimmings and all of the appearance of fruitfulness. Okay. But when Jesus inspected it more closely, he discovered that it was really barren. And who is he going to make this connection to in well, Jerusalem? The next day, he's going to talk about hypocrisy, and okay. he's going to make those eight woes of uh, unto the scribes and Pharisees. Right. Well, so I think this is an early, uh, an early demonstration of that to the disciples, to the twelve, about the dangers of hypocrisy. Well, I, I probably jumped the gun then on we're. We're still on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Tuesday. Okay, so then what happens after the fig tree? Before we get to Tuesday, yeah. So after they leave the fig tree, which Jesus curses and it withers and dies, uh, which is clearly a a symbolism of judgment, they get back to Jerusalem. And when they get to the temple, Jesus encounters something that he had encountered a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was all of the corruption that was happening in the temple. People were... Uh, selling animals and exchanging money, and this, of course, upset the Lord right. uh, and and moved him deeply. And so, for the second time in his ministry, he drove out all of those sinful practices, again drawing the ire of the religious elite. And uh, the people were praising him, but the leadership was chastising him. And right. that, of course, that conflict will continue to grow throughout the week. Okay, so then. Tuesday, uh, you you make this point that it's probably the longest recorded day in the life of Jesus, and that it's also the final day in his public preaching career. Yeah. Will, will you explain that? I mean, that's that's a very incredible statement. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about it. Ama- an amazing day. Uh, sometimes we call it the, the. You'll hear call it scholars call it the great day of questions. Okay. So after the. Uh, cleansing of the temple, Jesus and the twelve again go to Bethany for the night, and they come back. And when they come back to the temple in Jerusalem on Tuesday morning, the first discussion that occurs is a question from the Jewish leadership. Okay. They approach him based on what had happened the day before, and they ask him about his authority. Uh-huh. So what authority do you have to do what you're doing? Who gave you this authority? Who do you think you are that you can come in here 
and tell us how to run this temple? This seems like it's the most honest question of the questions they're going to be asking him. Maybe, maybe not honest is the right word, but at least it's the most direct. Well, about. certainly, yes. <laughs> and we know, we know this uh, encounter. Many sermons have been preached from this exchange. Jesus replies with a couple questions of his own. He says, right. all right, I'll, I'll answer your questions, but first you need to answer some questions of mine. He mm-hmm. asked him about the baptism of John. Where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reason with themselves about it. If we say it's from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you follow it? Right. If we say it's from men, uh, the we, people are going to turn right. on us. They fear the people. They all know, everybody knows John's a prophet. Right. Which is a startling statement in and of itself <laughs> because John didn't work miracles. Right. So if they'll admit that John's a prophet, what about Jesus? Uh-huh. He has proven right. that his message is from God by working signs and wonders. So they have this exchange about uh, authority, and they won't answer his question, and then he won't answer theirs. And from there, the day progresses with a series of discussions and uh, teachable moments that right. Jesus capitalizes on. It's a long day of questions. So after their initial question about authority, Jesus delivers some parables, three parables, in fact. They're all about judgment. The parable of a man who had two sons, uh, the parable of some land, uh, a, a landowner and some hired vine dressers. Right. And the parable of the wedding feast, uh, which is recorded at the beginning of Matthew uh, 22. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of these parables were meant to illustrate that uh, God was going to bring judgment upon those who had rejected him, the Jews who had rejected his son, and he was going to give the kingdom to others. So he's talking about bringing the Gentiles into the Messianic kingdom. Right, right. And uh, Jesus asks them when he delivers these parables, he says, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts? And at one point, there's this telling moment when it says that the Jews realize he was talking about them. Right. And so this, these incredible parables where he's asking them, what do you think about this? And after the parables, now it's time for some questions of the audience. You know, all preachers get in these situations <laughs> where people want to come up and ask questions. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there's a question about paying taxes. Right. Should we be paying taxes? There's a question about the resurrection. This woman who's been married to a bunch of different men, right. who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? There's a question about which commandment of all of the many hundreds of commandments right. in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, is the greatest commandment of all. And these are kind of dubious questions. These yeah. are hot-button issues of the day. Right. These are questions that divided Sadducees and Pharisees, Herodians and Zealots, all right. of these different sex factions of the Jews. So all of these, of course, were intended to make Jesus unpopular with at least somebody. Right. Anger somebody. And he 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 does extremely well. Incredible. Adeptly, <laughs> as we would expect from the Lord, answers all of these questions, right. shames the questioners, uh-huh. silences the critics, <laughs> one after the other. Uh-huh. Finally, uh-huh. at the end of Matthew 22, Jesus wants to ask a question. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing question about messianic prophecy. Right. So he asks them about a statement that David makes. He first says, whose son is the Christ going to be? Mm -hmm. And they immediately answer this. Oh, this is an easy one. You know, they've been asking Jesus some tough questions, but they said, oh, we know this one. The Messiah is going to be the son of David. Right. Now, that was a correct answer. Uh Uh-huh. And he says, okay, if that's true, riddle me this, as I paraphrase the Lord. (laughs) David said in the spirit, 
Uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool. Mm-hmm. What does that scripture mean? Mm-hmm. How can the Messiah be David's son and his Lord at the same time? Because right. in Jewish thought, the father was always greater than the son. Right. So how can David call his own son Lord? And of course, Jesus is highlighting something significant that they had missed right. about the Messiah, that the Messiah would not just be the son of David, mm-hmm. he would also be the son of God. Amen. And so this was something that they had missed in their understanding of the messianic prophecies of old, and they can't answer. And because they've missed that, you know, Matthew 23, the next, I guess, yes. part of his Which long is day, the same, his, right, yes. his preaching career, right. answering these questions, he kind of turns away from the, the question and answer session. Yeah. It's now time to let them know what's been wrong with them maybe for the past few generations. That's or, right. You know, they're getting the brunt of maybe their fathers and forefathers. Yeah. Right? And what so, goes on there? So this day started back in the middle of, if we just use Matthew, if we, we start the middle of Matthew 21, there's been lots of questions, discussions, but now it seems that Jesus is done with the question portion of the day. Right. And in Matthew 23, he launches into what must be the most biting, rebuke-filled sermon in the whole Bible. I can't Mm -hmm. think of one that is more critical than this. Well, we're going to pause right there, and I invite you to come back next week to continue to listen about the final week of Jesus Christ on earth. Until then, you can go to the website. There are a bunch of resources that are available for you to use absolutely free. Until then, always remember... God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.